Heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury like a woman scorned. This is a podcast called One Kick-Ass Bitch. My name's Ken, and I'm here with my co-host... Amber. How you doing, Amber? I'm doing pretty well. It's been about a month since we've released an episode. Yeah, we've been on various trips. We've been globe hopping. Yeah. You went to Montana. Yes. Yes, I did. And then I went to LA, and then I went to Dallas, and then I went to Austin. I drove from Dallas to Austin, stopped in Waco, went to a Chick-fil-A, and there were people running around the establishment dressed like cows, and come to find out it was like free Chick-fil-A day if you dressed like a cow. Mm. So it was, it was definitely, um, it was, it was a sobering experience. <laughs> a lot of cows, a lot of cows out there. you see a lot of cows up in, up in Montana? I did actually. Yeah. Um, David's grandma on her ranch, their people pay to like let their cows graze there, I guess. So she has a bunch of, bunch of cows that so do it's that. So like it's like a cow park. Yeah. Yeah, you bring your dog to a dog park. Mm -hmm. This is for cows. Yeah, they all really loved Chanel. She ran out there, and then David held her up, and all the cows just came to the gate around her. Chanel's her little black mop of a dog. What kind of dog is that? She's a Shih Tzu Bichon mix. Watch your mouth. This is a kid podcast. Wait, shit. (laughs) So this little animal was making friends with cows. Yeah, she's the queen of the cows now. It's awesome. Um, Are you going to start dyeing like white spots into her? Because she's black. Yeah. I think I should just cut them out out of felt and kind of stick them on there. Halloween costume. She's fuzzy enough that it would work. Halloween costume. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. (gasps) Do you want to be a cow for Halloween, baby? Get her a cowbell. Be cute if you want to be a cow for Halloween. Yeah, she's going to be a cow. Yeah, she looked like she was acknowledging that. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought about dressing her as a lobster, but <laughs> cow is a very good she's, idea. She's all cow now. <laughs> How? What? Huh? How now, brown cow? So it's been a while. Um, we're on SoundCloud now. If you just go to SoundCloud and look, uh, the number one, then the word kick ass and the word bitch. And our email address I know is one, but written out, B At gmail. At gmail.com. And then you're doing the other We are stuff. on Instagram as one kickass B, I think. The Let me look. One. It might be bitch. Let's see. I think we were B. I think from a previous episode. Yeah, one O-N-E kickass B. On Instagram. On you Instagram. manage all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm not very active right now because there aren't a whole lot of you to interact with. So if more people follow us, I'll have more people to hang out with on there. And we're on Facebook also. I go by the name B I, cause I kind of manage the Facebook. So I use the name Beatrix kiddo cause Beatrix kiddo is awesome. And she's a kick-ass bitch. You know who else is a kick-ass bitch? You. God damn right. <laughs> His smile was precious y'all. I don't know how you can see through it. This beard. Do you need me to turn a light on? It wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt. All right. What was the last episode? Oh, we did the, the knock Texan. Yes. And I want to give a shout out to uh, a shout. The kids always say that. I always say that. A gal I work with. I uh, can't remember her damn name right now. How do I not? Kelly. How do you give a Duh. shout out to somebody if you don't remember their name? Oh, her name's Kelly. 
It's her last name. I was like trying to remember because it's a cool last name. I won't say it on here because now she'll get stalked. But no she, doxing people, guys. No doxing. When she listened to the episode, the knock text, and I talked about the cupcake murder. Well, the guy took the last cupcake and then the other <laughs> opera singer attacked him. She was, she was like, I thought you were serious until you said, no, it was a motorcycle accident. She goes, then I was driving somewhere with my husband and had him listen to the episode. And as Ken's, she goes, as, as you're saying, he grabbed a cupcake and there was a big fight over this cupcake. And her husband just went, no way. <laughs> and he was right. But it's still a good story. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't bad. It was off the top of my How head. How did he die? Ugh, it was a cupcake brawl. A cupcake fight. An old-fashioned cupcake fight. <laughs> Happened at the ice cream social. <laughs> a clown lost his nose. Lost mm. a lot of good men out there. The, the amount of balloon animals that were slaughtered that day were epic. <laughs> so I have uh, this week, I've got an American. Ooh. Who's still alive. And you might actually know who she is. Whoa. You ever see the movie The Birds? Yeah. Okay. So the guy in that movie, his name's Rod Taylor. He's in The Time Machine, the original one. If you haven't seen that, it's a great movie. You got to check it out. Oh, that's right. Then the girl that he's in it with. Her name is Tippi Hedren. Oh. And she's amazing. So you've seen The Birds? Yes. In seventh grade, my English teacher showed it to us. Yeah. Wow. I was probably about, I don't know, probably still a toddler. My mom started showing me that and Psycho and Journey to the Center of the Earth. and time. Well, Journey to the Center of the Earth, she liked my time machine was more my dad's thing. And um, then when I was seven, I was like, I want to see that alien movie. And they went, okay. And then it was all downhill from there. It was on HBO one night. It was the premiere. It was seven o'clock at night on a Saturday. That's when all the new movies like premiered. Because back then, cable, including regular stations, and cable TV, there were 37. No, 36, because number one wasn't on the, the switch box. Ken's real old, you guys. I remember a time when I had to stand up and walk across the room to turn the damn TV station channel things, and there was only 2, 5, 7, 9, 11, and then the UHF, there was 32 and 44. And that's what the stations were in Chicago. So, you know about stereotypes. Mm-hmm. We've all heard them. Some are good. Most of them are bad. Some just are what they are. Such as, Amber, I can ask you this question. Have you ever had your nails done at like a salon? Of course. Was the person doing them Vietnamese? Sometimes. Okay. See, there's a stereotype. In fact, I even wrote into the script here. Amber's probably st- shooting me a dirty look. <laughs> it's like... Are you Vietnamese? Did you go there? Was a Vietnamese person there? Oh, Vietnamese are always in the nail salons. Well, Natalie K. Tippy Hedren. Hedren. Yeah. I keep mispronouncing things. Like Smokey and a Bandit. My friend's like, you say it's Smokey and a Bandit. I'm like, Smokey and a Bandit. Okay, maybe I am saying it. Yeah. I don't know. How do you say mountain, Ken? Mountain. Spell mountain, Ken. M-O-U-T-A-I-N. Nope. Well... M-O-U-N-T-A-I-N. M-O-U-N-T. There's a T in the middle. Mountain. How do you say Roosevelt? Roosevelt. Roosevelt? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Where I grew up, we had Roosevelt Road going through. It was like the main. So I was like, yeah, it's over there on Roosevelt Road. Or Roosevelt Road. Downtown Phoenix, there's a Roosevelt Row where a lot of cool places are. 
and I do believe, if I remember correctly, that area, um, it's kind of gouged out in the middle of, of Phoenix. Actually, it's kind of a little ravine. It was actually formed by Teddy Roosevelt. That's why it's called that. That phrase, walk softly and carry a big stick. Carried a big stick and kicked the shit out of Phoenix. Yeah, he just beat the yeah. shit out of it. Where am I? <laughs> so, Natalie K. Tippy Hedren was born January 19th, 1930 in New Ulm, Minnesota. Her parents were Bernard Carl and Dorothea Henrietta. Her maiden name was Eckhart. Means nothing. I just kind of like getting the whole background yeah. story. I just I like that. Yeah. I like knowing when people were born, when they died, kind of who their parents were. If their parents were, because the what the parents did for a living, a lot of times I feel would like reflect onto onto their children, who we're going to be talking about. So. For much of her career, now this is this is a good one. For much of her career, Hedren's year of birth was reported as 1935. In 2004, however, she came out of the closet and said, "Nah, she was actually born in 1930." Scandal. She's lying about her age. You know who else was born in 1935? Who? Elvis Presley, January 8th, 1935, and he was he died at um, 42. Because if you take drugs and eat and eat crap, you'll die too. That's how I remember that. Well, I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, you eat healthy. Usually. Except well, for when I customize my Taco Bell order through the app and it's disgusting because I'm a monster. You are a monster. <laughs> <laughs> so she lied about her age until 2004. Her paternal grandparents were Swedish immigrants, while her maternal ancestry is German and Norwegian. She's a very blonde lady. Yeah, very white. Yeah. Mayonnaise is spicy. Yeah. yeah. She goes out in the sun and immediately burns. She's so white, she's almost clear. Her father ran a small general store in a town of Lafayette, Minnesota, and gave her the nickname Tippy. After countlessly finding her sippy br- sipping brandy and getting tipsy, as a child, yeah, because um, and what happened was when she was four, her parents moved to Minneapolis in an effort to curb her budding alcoholism. I hope you're joking. I'm kind of messing with you there. I hope. Yeah, there's a like a, a toddler running around just, just with a ripped, drinking problem, just ripped, getting kicked out of every bar, fighting buffalo up there in Montana. Yeah. So as a teenager, she took part in department store fashion shows. Her parents relocated to California, and while she was a high, when, when she was in high school, they moved out to California. When she turned 20, she bought a ticket to New York City, where she joined the Eileen Ford Agency. Within the year, she made her unofficial film debut as an uncredited extra in the musical comedy The Pretty Girl. In interviews, she refers to The Birds as her first credited role. Although she received several film offers during that time, Hedren had no interest in acting, as she knew it was very difficult to succeed. She had a highly successful modeling career during the 1950s and early 1960s, appearing on the covers of Life, Saturday Evening Post, McCall's, and Glamour, among others. In 1961... After seven years of marriage to the actor Peter Griffith, Hedron divorced and moved back to California with her daughter, 
Melanie. This is Melanie Griffith's mom. Holy shit. Yeah. There's, there's a curveball. You can see that one coming. No. Of, I don't know if a lot of people know that or not. I do just because I know a lot you about learned. movies. I guess, I guess I probably did know that, but I didn't remember that yeah. I knew it. Like, put, it put two and two together. Yeah. So when she moved back to California, she ended up moving to Sherman Oaks, and she's quoted as saying, I thought I could continue my career as it had been in New York. I thought everything would be just fine, and it wasn't. So I thought, well, I don't type. Whatever shall I do? She got into acting, most notably. A natural yeah. choice. I can't type. Which, she, so. Which is in California. Um, it was Alfred Hitchcock who got her into acting. He cast her in The Birds as Marnie and a, another movie he did called Marnie. Tied her up in a contract. It was a nightmare. Years later, she publicly spoke about her harassment by Alfred Hitchcock. Hardcore Me Too. Oh, hardcore. I mean, it's not really surprising because as we're slowly finding out, a lot of men are trash. Yeah, we're all assholes. Now, the thing is, I read a lot about all the stuff that went on behind the scenes. Didn't want to really include it into this because it's this pod. This story, at least, isn't about any of that. But I think more happened than what she's ever talked about. But then again, they've made movies on her life and documentaries and stuff. So and she's. She's 88 years old now, so she's kind of like, you know, fuck it. I'll talk about anything. Yeah. And a lot of those documentaries, if stuff like that came out before maybe even the last, like, five years, they're not really... It was kind of taboo to talk about, like, being sexually harassed or sexually assaulted or anything like that. So It's always taken out. Yeah, yeah, you lady, it's going to happen to you. Deal with yeah, it. Yeah, so who knows what wasn't shown in any of that. It could be a very interesting story something, something to look more into yeah um but also this is something else she famously got into big cat rescue she went to africa one time and saw like the plight of the lion or something like that and said to hell with it i'm opening up a preserve uh, like a, a big cat preserve north of la called shambhala so to this i don't know if i talked about it in here um Shambhala sounds like something a magician would say. Shambhala. So because they had all these cats around, she wanted to film a movie about them called Roar. I think it came out in 1982. It took something like nine years to get made. Almost everybody on set got injured somehow. There's a picture of Melanie Griffith with a lion having its head like around his mouth around her head. I think one of them bitter, like bad or something. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Uh, there's one picture I saw online of like their office and the guy sitting at a typewriter and there is a lion stretched across the top of the damn thing like your dog or your cat would do. That would be the best job. Yeah. Lions. No. Cats. You as a human being. Okay. You probably a house cat, maybe something a little bigger, but. Like if a 50 pound cat, like it's 50 pounds of cat, whatever, who cares? Attacked like somebody big who knew how to fight. The cat would probably win. Cats are, I love them to death. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big cat fan. However, there's a documentary on Netflix called The Lion in the Living Room. Mm-hmm. You really got to watch that. Oh, Also with her Shambhala place. Because I know a lot about the movie Evil Dead, mm-hmm. which if you haven't seen Evil Dead series, oh, 
you're fucking up hard because so part three of the evil dead series was called the army of darkness or just army of darkness anyway when they were filming the movie they were filming it up around shambhala and the lion wars were spook would spook the horses at night oh wow yeah that's a cool little tie in there neat so something else about tippy hendron she transformed the nail industry fingernail not carpenter nail. yeah just okay i just want to make sure we're on the same board here Nicknamed the godmother of the Vietnamese nail industry, Hedren's contribution to the beauty industry started after the fall of Saigon in 1975. See, when she wasn't acting, she was an international relief coordinator with the organization Food for the Hungry. So after Saigon fell, she was working with Vietnamese women in a refugee camp near Sacramento, either called Hope Village or Camp Hope, when several of the girl women in there admired her long, glossy nails. And she quotes, We were trying to find vocations for them. I, I brought in seamstresses and typists, anywhere for them to learn something, and they loved my fingernails. I loved these women so much that I wanted something good to happen for them after losing literally everything. Some of them lost their entire family. And everything they had in Vietnam, their homes, their jobs, their friends, everything was gone. They lost even their own country. So she's feeling, she feels for these women. Yeah. Because they have nothing. So they all liked her fingernails. So she had a a manicurist named Dusty at the time. And she asked Dusty if she wouldn't mind coming up to the camp to meet with the women. Dusty agreed and Hedron flew her up to Camp Hope every weekend to teach nail technology to 20 women. Those 20 women, mainly the wives of high-ranking military officers and at least one woman who worked in military intelligence, went on to transform the industry which is now dominated by Vietnamese Americans. Other than Dusty's help, Hedren recruited a local beauty school to help teach the women. When they graduated, Hedren helped them all get jobs all over Southern California. That's awesome. There's a. Oh, yeah. This one person I interviewed said she remembers Hedron insisting the new students learn the then cutting edge technique of silk nail wrapping, which created long, natural looking artificial nails. I don't know anything about nail stuff. I am up until this year always had really long acrylic nails, but. There's a lot to keep up on. I am the family who owns the nail salon I always go to. It's a Vietnamese family, and they're the nicest, and I love them. Awesome. (laughs) They're so fun. The greatest family. I love them. Shout out to Diane's Fabulous Nails. Does Diane own the nail salon? Mm -hmm. Her and her husband. Her name's actually Kelly, but it's called Diane's Fabulous Nails. Because uh, I believe the sign was already up when they <laughs> bought the space, or so it was something like that. Store? She just I don't really have a name. Oh, I guess it's called Diane's. Yeah, it comes she with was a label. Just like, oh, it was there, so it's it's funny. So thanks to Hedron's sponsorship, um, that woman Lee, who they were interviewing, became licensed and immediately employable. Fortunately, she landed a job at a critical time when her husband, a former fighter pilot, was looking for work and the family desperately needed money. 
Today, the family is financially secure. The Vietnamese gave the nail salon business a radical makeover. In the 1970s, manicures and pedicures cost around $50, fine for Hollywood starlets, but out of reach for most American women. Today, a basic mani-pedi can cost around $20, largely due to Vietnamese-American salons, which typically charge 30-50% to less than other salons, according to Nails Magazine. And they always do a better job. 40 years after the fall of Saigon, when I were 40, it was 43 years after the fall of Saigon. At the time this article was written, it says 40 years. 51% of nail technicians in the United States and approximately 80% in California are of Vietnamese descent. And many are direct descendants of that first class of women inspired by the nails of a Hitchcock blonde. That's awesome. There you go. I came with a good story this time. Yeah, that's really awesome. She she really helped these women who came from their whole lives being torn apart. Yeah. I've, I've done enough stories about war and stuff. I figure I better do one kind of on the other yeah, side of, of she things. She brought something really positive and beautiful. And then those 20 or 21 women. It was 20 women. They impacted an entire industry. They didn't want to be seamstresses or, or typists. Yeah. Instead, they kept going, your nails are pretty. Yeah, and they yeah, they revolutionized the industry. It's completely changed. And So would you say Tippi Hedren is one, one kick-ass kick ass bitch. bitch? And so were all the women that she helped become nail techs. And then yeah. they yeah. Turn, turn created the, an awesome industry. Turned a bunch of people's lives around who literally... So those are 21 kick-ass bitches, too. Well, it was 20. It was 20. 20? Was it 20? It was 20. Well, then total 21 because of Tippy. Well, you say 22 because then her nail... Oh, yeah, and Dusty. Dusty. Yeah. This is one episode of 22 22 kick-ass bitches.